The Gospel of Matthew describes the day heaven kissed earth, the day the hope of humanity was born, the day we celebrate is Christmas. Here's, here's the account in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement off. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give him birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for moments like this that we can step aside from our busy schedules in our life and we can focus on things that matter to you. And, and so perhaps this morning, God, you would speak to us through your word. Thank you that you use the foolishness of preaching to bring about your truth and the, and the things that you speak, I pray they would land on fertile soil and it would bring, bring forth good fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said, amen. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give, him, give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's what the prophet Isaiah foretold in the Old Testament and what Matthew and the angel in the, in the book of Matthew declared that Jesus would be the fulfillment of that prophecy. In other words, what he's saying is, we are not alone. God is with us. Now, you may feel alone, especially when tragedy strikes close to home and the death of a loved one, or perhaps your health is failing, or friend's health is failing, fractured relationships, financial distress, or when our hearts are broken from the senseless loss of life that we saw in our communities, not only here at Clackamas, but abroad in Connecticut. Feelings of hopelessness, fear, discouragement, anger, frustration can easily take us over. But I'm encouraged and energized by the words of King David in Psalms chapter 46. He says, God is my refuge. God is my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And therefore, I will not fear, though the mountains be removed and fall into the sea, I will not be afraid. The miraculous event recorded in the Gospel of Matthew gives us hope this morning because it reminds us that God could have left us to our own vices. He could have left us in our state of separation, left us to wallow in guilt and condemnation, left us as slaves to our lusts and perverted passions, left us alone and without hope of escaping his judgment and wrath. But God did not turn his back on us. Even when we chose to do our own thing, our own way, defiantly and rebelliously, he did not abandon us. He came to our place. Emmanuel, God, is with us. The angel in Luke's gospel announced to the shepherds that damp and dark first Christmas night, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. And because God is with us, we have three gifts that I would like to begin unwrapping for us this morning. And you can take a moment and finish it off. But this morning, because God is with us, we have the gift of forgiveness. 
The word forgive means to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt. Whenever we offend someone, we seek their forgiveness in order to restore relationship, don't we? Forgiveness isn't granted because a person deserves to be forgiven. No one deserves to be forgiven. Forgiveness is an act of love, mercy, and grace. Forgiveness is a decision to not hold something against another person despite what they've done to you or they might have hurt you. Here's what Ecclesiastes tells us that, about forgiveness. There's not a righteous man on earth who does, who does what's right and never sins. First John says this about us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't with us. All sin is ultimately an act of rebellion against God. Genesis suggests it's us trying to be God. Psalm said, against you and you only have I sinned. Here's what Romans 3.23 says, and it's on the board for you. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. As a result, we desperately need God's forgiveness. If our sins are not forgiven, we will spend eternity suffering the consequences of our sins. That's what the scripture tells us. There was a scene I saw on ER the other day that I want you to watch that has to do with forgiveness. Six year old kid on the table, convicted of killing a cop. See his family pleading, praying. I injected the drugs, and he didn't die. He lay there, awake, quivering, lethal doses of three different agents, and he was still alive. Parents were crying, claiming a miracle. What happened? The IV infiltrated. The drugs pooled in his soft tissues instead of going into his bloodstream. So I placed another IV, drew up another round of meds, and pushed. And this time, it took him 90 seconds to die. Seven months later, a police officer came forward. The boy was framed for the murder. Hmm? He didn't do it. You couldn't have known that. God tried to stop me from killing an innocent man, and I ignored the sign. How can I even hope for forgiveness? I think... Sometimes it's easier to feel guilty than forgiven. Which means what? That maybe your guilt over these deaths has become your reason for living. And maybe you need a new reason to go on. I, I, I don't want to go on. Can't you see? I'm old. I have cancer. I've had enough. The only thing that is holding me back is that I am afraid. I'm afraid of what comes next. And what do you think that is? You tell me. Is atonement even possible? What does God want from me? I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants. So people can do anything? They can rape, they can murder, they can steal all in the name of God and it's okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, what are you saying? Because all I'm hearing is some new age, God is love, one-size-fits-all crap. Hey, Dr. Truman. No, I don't have time for this now. Greg, it's okay. Look, I understand. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. 
How could you possibly say that? Now you listen to me. I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. I hear that you're frustrated, but you need to ask yourself... No, I don't need to ask myself. I need answers. And all your questions and your uncertainty are only making things worse. I know you're upset. God, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness because I am running out of time. I'm trying to help. Well, don't! Just get out! Get out! Get out! Julia, come on. Listen, come on. Come on, the guy's just freaking out. He didn't mean what he said. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11 says this. The man is asking, how do I find forgiveness? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Second Peter tells us this about God's heart towards us, that God's, he's not desiring for any to perish, for none of us to be cast into outer darkness, but to come into a relationship with him. That's what he says. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Wants us to acknowledge that we're wrong, change our way of thinking, stop in the direction that we're going and turn and go in the direction that God wants us to go, which is usually opposite of where you're headed right now. God wanted to wipe our slate clean, and he did this by sending his own son. That's what John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift, the gift of forgiveness. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love what Psalms 32 says about the benefits of being forgiven. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. At the end of that Reading in verse uh, 7 in chapter 32, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. First, we're forgiven of our transgressions and our sins against God. And then the outflow, the working out of that, is that we receive God, of, of us receiving God's forgiveness, is that we're able to forgive others. But that forgiveness may not look like or feel like anything that you may have expected. I asked my daughter if I could share her story. She gave me permission. In the summer of 2005, our daughter Haley became pregnant. She was a sophomore at high school, in high school at the time. We were devastated by the news. As a father, I was heartbroken and angry. I found myself going places in my mind that I hadn't been before I became a Christian. I wanted to lay hands on that boy, and I'm not talking about praying for him either. I remember meeting with Pastor Stan and Pastor John at that time. We met at a restaurant just in, in town here. and With a heavy heart, I tendered my resignation. I didn't want to embarrass the church or the family. Thankfully, Stan rejected my resignation and spoke some sense into my 
clouded brain. In fact, Stan had some tickets to the Seattle Mariners game that week and suggested that I take a trip up to Seattle to talk to my cousin. Now, my cousin is like my brother. We grew up in the same house. Uh, he lived up in, in Seattle or in Woodenville, and Stan knew that Manu and I were like brothers, and he said, why don't you go, you know, go talk to him? Manu would be the first guy, first person in our, beyond our immediate family that would hear the news. So I called my cousin and told him that we had free tickets. That's, you know, for someone's free is good, free food, free ticket, free. We like that kind of stuff. That's a Samoan discount, free. So I hey, 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 bro, I got some tickets to the game. Why don't we meet at, the, at Safeco Field and, and go check out the game? And so uh, we, made, we, we set a, a time, and, a, and, and later that day around dinner time, I was leaving the house to, to run an errand when I saw the boy walking down the sidewalk towards our home. This would be the first time that I'd seen him since hearing about the pregnancy. The waves of emotion that came over me were indescribable. Yet at the same time, my mind was clear. I remember thinking to myself, what in the, is this boy doing in my neighborhood? And I heard myself telling him that too, because I knew he was outside of his mind. And then I heard myself say to the boy, and for the next several minutes, I just unloaded on him. I let him know how I felt about him and what they had done and the pain their sin had inflicted on their future and our family. And then I heard myself say something that I, that I wasn't prepared for. I heard me having a conversation with myself about how I needed to forgive the boy. Now, I, it was kind of an out-of-the-body experience. I'm, I'm having this conversation with myself telling me, you got to forgive. And, and the other part of me say, you're crazy. I, I'd rather, you know, do something else. But I felt that I needed to forgive the boy. And, and I think because of that, I, I just remember, I remember hearing myself say this, and I couldn't believe that I was actually saying this, Stan. I heard myself say, I forgive you. Then I came to my senses and told him he better get in his car before the grace of God lifts off of him and he goes to eternity. No, I'm just... But I did tell him to get back in his car and get on out of here. The next day I got in my car to drive up to Seattle to meet my cousin. And as I pulled back out of my driveway in Tualatin, I became overwhelmed with emotion. For the next three hours, an avalanche of tears just flowed from my soul. I was full of hurt and anger. But what God did for the next three hours wasn't what I had expected. I, I thought it was about Haley and the boy, and it was about them, you know, to a degree. But what the Lord did is that he hit this rewind button on my life and took me down memory lane of all the hurt and pain I'd inflicted on others. And how he had forgiven me for my sin, of my rebellion, and of my selfishness. I wanted him to stop the tape. I mean, I just kind of had enough. I cried myself through traffic all the way to the stadium, parking lot, three and a half hours. Looked like Shrek with snot flying everywhere. <laughs> and I pulled into the, in my parking spot in the Safeco field, and my, I remember seeing my cousin pull up next to me. I get out of my car, and my cousin's bigger than I am. So I get into his SUV, and we look like two elephants trying to find some peanuts. <laughs> so we're sitting in this car, and he, he looks at me, and he goes, hey, bro, we don't do this, man. We don't do this baseball thing. What's going on? And I just said, well, Haley's pregnant. 
And so we just sat there, two elephants, just crying our heart out. Took about three or four minutes, I think. Maybe it was five minutes. We just bawling, and he didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. We were just crying. And, and then he got, his, you know, he got, it, got it all together. We're just, you know, people are walking by, and I'm sure they're like, you know, <laughs> trying to get away from us as fast as possible. And so I, he kind of gathers himself. He looks over to me, takes a deep breath. He goes, all right, let's go do this. See, in my family, when you wrong us, we handle our business a little bit different. We come at you in waves. I mean, it's on like Donkey Kong. And so what my cousin was saying is, you have come up here to get my assistance on going down there and replacing that young man's body with somebody else. That's what he was. And I looked over at him. I said, hey, bro, no, I'm, uh, that's not why I came up here. I, I just need you to know what had happened to my girl. From the time I backed out of my driveway in Tualatin and pulled into Safeco Field in Seattle, Jesus began a healing process in my heart. And I believe that it's because of the forgiveness I'd extended to the boy the night before. I did not want to forgive him. But I'm glad God's grace helped me to do it. And in case you're wondering today, I'm a proud father of an amazing daughter, a courageous single mom, nurturing and the most beautiful, energetic, and entertaining granddaughter a guy could have. Love of my life. Can't imagine our family without her. She's got some skills too, Stan. <laughs> she can dance. She can play some sports. Might be the first female linebacker in the NFL someday. <laughs> Maybe you've been wondering what gift to get that family member or a co-worker or perhaps a former employer, or business partner? Could it be that you need to give them the gift of forgiveness this Christmas? Here's the truth. God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. It's up to us whether or not we'll receive that precious and priceless gift. Once we receive his forgiveness, not only will we be set free, but then we're given the ability by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, to extend that forgiveness to others. That we won't become slaves to bitterness. We won't become hardened in our hearts. Because God is with us. Second thought this morning, because God is with us, we have the gift of relationship. I love the story in, that Jesus tells in Luke 15 about a father whose son turned on him and went his own way and messed his life up. The story captures the heart of God, his heart towards us, gives us a great picture of his character. Man had two sons, and one of his sons said, hey, Dad, I want all of my inheritance. I'm going to just go use it however I want. So he did, blew all his money on loose living, wasted it. And about that time the money ran out, there was a famine that hits the land. You can read that story. He persuades a local farmer to hire him, and the job he had was feeding pigs. So the young man finds himself feeding pods to these pigs, and he looks at them, and the pods are looking pretty good because no one was giving him anything. When he finally came to his senses, the scripture says, he thought to himself, man, at home, there's these servants. They've got all this food. They've got more food than they can handle. I'm over here eating pig's food. I think I'll go home, and I'll humble myself. I'll tell my father that I've sinned against him in heaven, that I wasn't worthy to be called his son. And I'll ask him to take me back in. We pick up the story in verse 20. Should be on the screen for you. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, 
his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his, for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine who was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. That's a great picture. It's a great image of, of God desiring to restore relationship with us. Romans says when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. That God showed his great love for us by sending his son to restore us in the right relationship with him. Here's what Romans 8, 14 to 16 says about our relationship with God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Not just anybody qualifies us. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted us. Adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. From slaves to freed sons. From orphans to adopted children of God. And not only is our relationship with God restored. Not only are we made right with God. Not only are we adopted into God's family. But we're also given a new family. It's called the church. If you read in Matthew's gospel in the, in the 28th chapter, it's after Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead. He gives his followers some direction. He says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you to the ends of the age. He said, I'm giving you the authority to go and spread the good news. The book of Acts tells us of how the first church was birthed into being. That the disciples were together praying and then spreading the gospel, telling the good news. 3,000 were added in one day, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. You can pick that up in, Luke's, in Acts, Acts chapter 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Some folks think of when you hear the word church, you think about event. I'm going to go to an event or go to a place when you say church. Jesus doesn't call this an event. He calls it his bride. Calls us his body. That's how important we are. He sees each of us as an integral part of his church. A community bound together by the spirit and love of Jesus. And compelled to use our gifts, our talents, and our treasure to serve one another and to serve strangers. That perhaps by our life and our love and our serving, they might come into a relationship with, with Jesus. That they might become wholehearted followers just like us. That they might experience the forgiveness that we've been given. Because God is with us, we have the gift of forgiveness. We have the gift of relationship. And thirdly, because he's with us, we have the gift of purpose. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably know this scripture by heart as well. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 
plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Psalms 139 is one of my life verses. It talks about, it describes to us what God thinks about us and what he did for us. It tells me that in the secret place, while I was still in my mother's womb, God was forming me exactly the way he wanted my personality, all of that stuff. And he also had a, he had a story for my life. It was laid out. Even before I had my first breath, he had his story laid out for me. God's story for us is very different from our story for ourselves. If you would have approached me when I was about 15 and said, hey, you're going to be a pastor someday, it might not have gone very well for you. I just tell you, give me your money and keep stepping. But God's story for us is totally different from our story for our lives. And until, I submit to you, until we find out what God's story is for us and connect with that story, we're going to be frustrated trying to live out something that he hasn't designed for us. Mark says this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? It's a question he's asking. And what would you give in exchange for your soul? It's not worth it. Whatever, whatever your answer was to that question, not worth it. Nothing is worth your soul. We must be willing to lay down our story and embrace God's story for us. Only then will we find peace and fulfillment. Only then will we have the opportunity to discover what his purpose and his plans are for our lives. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Emmanuel, God is with us. And because he's with us, we have the gift of forgiveness, the gift of relationship, and the gift of purpose. Let's pray.